Hey there, Disky Chicks fans. Before we get started with today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a special opportunity for you to become the DISC expert in your organization. Would you like to deliver DISC debriefs with ease, facilitate coaching sessions and teaming sessions with confidence, and elevate your stature as the go-to person for all things DISC? Join us for our live advanced DISC certification training coming up in early January 2022. This is a live small group class delivered in four two-hour sessions during the first two weeks of January. Please go to DiskyChicks.com for more information. And don't wait because the December 17th registration deadline is coming up quickly. Oh, and one more thing, since you're a Disky Chicks podcast listener, enter the promotion code DCP123 to get $150 off the registration fee as a thank you from us to you. Now on with the show. Welcome to the Disky Chicks podcast. For business leaders, HR directors, coaches, and those interested in learning how to use the DISC assessment to grow self-awareness, improve communications, and develop leaders and teams. Please welcome your hosts, business coaches Martha Fourlines and Cindy Jacoby. They are loud and proud about all things DISC. Hi, I'm Cindy Jacoby, Chief Engagement Officer for BizHelp Consulting. I work with companies and teams to improve their effectiveness by improving their hiring and their communication skills. I use DISC to help teams better understand each other and how to work better together and how to choose the right candidate for the job. I also offer certification classes so anyone can comfortably deliver and debrief the DISC assessment to their employees or clients. And by the way, in DISC language, I'm a high influencer and low compliant, meaning I like to talk and influence and I'm not great with rules or details. Martha, how about you? Hey, I'm Martha Fourline, CEO of Belief System Institute. And I'm very much like Cindy. I'm also a high influencer with a very, very low C or compliant. Not good with details and not good with following a lot of rules. I also have a high dominant, which we'll be talking more about in the show. I work with courageous entrepreneurs as a consultant and coach to improve leadership skills that then improve business performance. I've had a fascination with human behavior since I was a kid, and I was blessed with 28 years in the corporate world where I was an HR and communications executive. Trust me, being in the people business that long, I've seen and heard it all. And then I started my own business in 2007, focusing on my passion, helping entrepreneurs to be all they want to be to grow their businesses. Together, Cindy and I are the Disky Chicks. We are here to inform, support, and have some fun with you as we talk about the DISC Behaviors Assessment. Some of you may know about the DISC Assessment. DISC measures behaviors or communication style, things we can see when we observe a person closely. What do the letters stand for? D stands for dominance, 
someone who moves quickly, they're direct to their communication and they're all business. And I is an influencer, someone who also moves quickly, but is more people focused, outgoing and often humorous. S stands for steadiness. They're slower paced introvert who are people focused, reliable, and yes, steady. And the C stands for compliant. The C's move at a slower pace and they are our data-driven perfectionists who love to know and follow the rules. DISC is the simplest tool to understand but goes very deep and very wide and that's why we have lots to talk about. Welcome to our podcast. It doesn't make sense to hire smart people and then tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. Steve Jobs, Apple. Welcome to season two, episode four of the Disky Chicks podcast. We're glad to have you with us. On today's podcast, we're going to focus on job benchmarking. All of January and maybe all of February, Martha, we're going to focus on hiring, careers, job benchmarking, and of course, how assessments play a big role in that. And you've heard us speak a lot about job benchmarking. So today we're going to give you a, an overview, the, the who, what, why, how does it work type of approach to the job benchmarking. So welcome to the show, Martha. Good to see you again. Hey, you too, Cindy. And we're going to start with the who. Who would benefit from the benchmarking process within your organization. And typically with my clients, I am working with someone in HR uh, that's got a vested interest in improving their hiring selection rate, as well as hiring managers. So it could be either of the two. Cindy, I don't know if you have other people that typically get involved in it. I use those same two, and, and often I'll have, if it's an entrepreneur, maybe the leadership team, they know they're creating a new position and they want to be in the room to figure out this new job. And so somebody who is wants to make sure that the hiring goes well and they get the right person in the right seat. That's the whole goal of job benchmarking in the first place. So now, now I will say I have to talk to some recruiting firms about using benchmarking as a part of their service offerings or even within their own organizations. So that's another kind of entrepreneurial uh, group that might benefit from the job benchmarking process as well. And I may be naive, but it's it surprised me that recruiters don't use job benchmarking. How are they going to find the right person for this right. particular job if they're just looking at resumes? And so you'll this will make more sense as we go through this, but yeah, we want to understand the job before we try to figure out who's who the best person is to fill it. And so Absolutely. speaking of jobs, what are there certain types of jobs, Martha, that you would say would benefit the most from having uh, a job benchmarking session? Yeah, my top 2 are high turnover positions um, where companies have a lot of people in the same job and unfortunately there's high turnover. So that's one. And then the other would be really key roles in the organization that 
they want to get the right person in there to drive the business results or help scale up the business. Those really, really key jobs or even C-suite jobs. Okay. And I would agree with you. And I would, I would differentiate high turnover positions and positions with multiple people. It, it, they could be one and the same, which could, you mentioned, but there could be, if you're starting up a team, I'm working with a company now who is, is creating a inside sales team. That's a, that's a position that they want to hire 10 of the same type of person, you know, 10 of right. that same role. So that would be one of those multiple people in the same roles. But to your point, Martha, typically maybe like call centers where there's high turnover, same idea. You want to mm -hmm. be able to, um, to replace that person with someone who's going to be more successful. Right. But even if it's a singular job and it's a high turnover job, you might keep hiring the wrong person for that. Right. So right. it doesn't even have to be a whole department. And especially if it's the same manager, not to pick on a bad manager, but if it's the same manager that has this mindset of this is what I want to hire to, and who knows, their behavioral profile might be just like that manager. Right. right. So, <laughs> so you really have to internally be looking for why is this position turning over? Why do we keep making the same mistakes? Yes. And the benchmarking process can help tease all of that out, in my opinion. I think that's a great point that we tend to hire people that are like us because we understand ourselves. We know how to get along with people like ourselves. But if you're hiring for a role that requires different behavioral styles, then, then that person's going to flame out every time. So that, that's a great diagnosis, Martha. Right, yeah. right. Cool. Well, let's talk about you know, how it works. Like what, what are the steps of the process? Where do we even begin? Let's, let's assume we've identified a job. Um, how do, what do we do from there? Yeah, the, the next step in the process, which is just really, really very important that you select the right people, is getting a team of subject matter experts that really know that job inside out. And that's not the manager. It's somebody who's actually doing the job. And it can be somebody that's very experienced in the job, or it can be a brand new person that has been highly successful. So you really have to look at uh, selecting these subject matter experts very carefully. And you only need three or four of them. You don't need 10 or 15 of them. Right. The way that, that I help my clients choose these, it's people who are going to be interacting with this job. And I'm okay if the manager's coming in there, but it, it's not the manager's only decision. You certainly don't want anybody a couple of levels up because they, they are farther and farther away from what, what actually happens in that job. So right. anyone doing a similar job, um, the people right around that person that they are dealing with, their, you know, their internal customers. And if it's a new job, it's okay to even sometimes bring somebody from the outside who has that same job title, maybe at a similar but different company. So they know exactly what a inside salesperson needs to do. So if, right. if you don't know, then bring in other people, bring in some experts to sit in on that initial session. Right, right. And it's truly, the session itself is a brainstorming session. And you're looking for key accountabilities for the job. What are the 
outcomes of this position that it's reasonable to expect anybody in the job to produce or to do. So that involves a lot of really good discussion when you've got these subject matter experts in there that do it day in and day out or other experts, because you really get into some healthy disagreements about what's most important about those key accountabilities. Typically when we start, we, we ask the people in the room to think of things from the job's perspective. You know, if the job could talk, what is it, what are the requirements to do this job? And we just say, you know, why does this job exist? And we ask the same question over and over. Why does this job exist? And we, it's a brainstorming session to Martha's point. We put everything on a sticky on the wall and all the different things that this person needs to be able to do. Right. And once we feel we've exhausted all of those things, then we look at them one by one and we'll say, okay, we'll, we'll read off a sample of, you know, this person is to call customers. Okay. And so we'll label that section A and we'll put that in its own spot on the wall. The next card we pick up and we read the definition of why this job exists. We say, is that a lot like the first one or is that something totally different? And so we're, we're polling these subject matter experts to find out, yeah, that's that's kind of this, very similar. So we'll put that in the same pile. And mm-hmm. you end up with maybe three or four piles of job descriptions. And those usually turn out to be the key accountabilities. We, we right. take all those things and we morph them together. We get a great wordsmith mm-hmm. to write a sentence that kind of encompasses all this. And by the end of that session, you have three, sometimes four main key accountabilities, meaning if the person didn't do these things, they would get fired. Like this is, this is their responsibility. And, you know, everyone's famous for having this long list of duties and other duties as assigned. You know, that, that's not helpful. We want to know why, why someone is here. What is the need the company has yeah. for this position? Yeah, and the, the fun part of it is sorting it so that things can hang together that are the most important things, but everybody maybe said it a little differently and, mm-hmm. and getting everything in the same language so that it the accountabilities really do hang together and you can move forward with the next step in the process. And I would say this is where the clarity comes from, too. And, mm-hmm. and that's that's a lot of the positive feedback that I get from these sessions are that it involves the clarity part of that, that they are now crystal clear on what they want this person to do. And if you think about it, the, the new hire that comes in here, they now have this list of you're you are responsible for this, this, this. And you don't have competing bosses saying, no, I think you should be doing this. And I think you should be doing that because everyone's on the same page by the end of this process of what this job is going to entail. And that's where they get to duke it out, not with the candidate in the middle playing tug of war with them. No, no, no. And, And then there, after all of that clarification is done, there is a ranking of most important to least, even with three or four items. But what was really telling to me was how much time do you spend doing this? And in one job benchmarking scenario, 
the administrative time was anywhere from, and this is no lie, 50 to 70% of their time was doing admin work. Wow. When they had to maintain relationships in this particular job. And I said, well, how do you have time to maintain relationships and keep people happy when you're spending 60 to 70% of your time on your computer doing admin work. So, I mean, you're talking about real life clarification of the job so that the leaders of the company see this because they're buried a lot, basically. It changes who you hire. Right. And I had almost the opposite experience, Martha. I was helping a company with a, a sales leader role. They needed somebody to to really manage the sales team, but they wanted strategy and, and all these other things. And when, and so the CEO knew exactly the type of person he wanted, but as we went through all this and we talked about managing a team and I'm asking questions like, well, who's gonna do the reviews and who's gonna manage sick time and who's going to answer the phone when an employee calls in and they all were like, well, this person is, this person is. And so when we ranked strategy and management and selling, and how much time it was going to take, they were going to spend well over 50% of their time managing the people and not just the strategy, you know, that high C part of the job. And so, and that was that clarity that I was telling you about. When we ended up hiring somebody, he had a lot more eye than we originally thought that they would have because they've got to be able to motivate the group and keep them, you know, keep them moving. And they really were not going to spend that much time on strategy it was more implementation and moving the strategy along that was yeah. going to be the bulk of the time. And, and it was so wonderful to, to see the, the light bulbs go off and right. the, the CEO completely changed his mind by the end of the process of who we thought he wanted, which was someone just like him, actually, to be <laughs> honest with you, to your point earlier. So. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. All right. So we have this information. We have it ranked. We know how much time they're spending doing these things. And and we talk about time spent because that's where we focus the the disc on, right? Like if you're going to spend most of your time doing admin work in your example, then we need somebody who's going to probably have some high S systems and they like to do mm-hmm. things sequentially, maybe mm-hmm. some high C as well. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas we morphed over towards the, the high I for that other job. Right, right. So the last job for these subject matter experts is to actually now complete the job questionnaire. And so there's two ways to do this. Um, You can give a link to everybody that was in the room and have them sit in front of a computer and take this. It's almost like taking your own assessment, but we have to keep reminding everybody to look at this work that we've just produced. If you're the job that's taking this assessment, how would the job answer? And so it really is hard to not to hide your biases for this. And knowing that you're spending 80% of your time doing admin work, how would you answer these questions? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other way to do that is just to have one person answer, have one of us drive the the computer and then as a group we answer these questions as we go along and i've i've done it both ways do you have a favorite way martha to do that well i do not think that in one that one scenario that i was giving you the examples of that those subject matter experts were able to take the assessment for the job 
Mm-hmm. I just think it was too much of a um, head scratcher for them. So I, I really like what you described as you're doing it and they're giving you input as you're doing it so that you, so that the biases are not there and they're really, really looking for uh, or to have an end result of a profile that really fits that job. Yes. Not their person. I, I think I've done more and more that way. So the biases may show, but they quickly get, you know, smacked down by the other people in the room saying, that's not what this job's doing. That's how you would do it, but not how the job is doing right. it. So, right. um, yeah, uh, that's interesting. That's a good point that there's a couple of different ways of doing it. And depending on who you talk to, they may do it differently. But the idea is to get what we've just created right. into uh, a document, you know, into right. a physical document and it looks just like the the disc and driving forces report that that you take it's just one for the job and it gives some ranges of of where we're looking for these people to fall when when we get it right all right so martha we have our profile um we let everybody go back to work then what do we do yeah (laughs) well the next time they're recruiting for that position that just and we talked about this i think a couple of podcasts ago, but once you get your candidates to fill that role and you've put them, let's say you had six candidates and two or three fell on top, then it's up to the company to decide, do you want your top one or your top two to take the assessment? I've never been a a supporter of every candidate that applied needs to take this assessment. It's just wasting money. So Usually it's the top one or two and the candidate takes the assessment and then Cindy and I do the voodoo magic. Once they come in, those uh, reports come in and this would be disc behaviors and driving forces. And we overlay and compare that against the job report. And that produces what we call a gap report, where you can see where they're within the profile and where they're outside of the profile. And then it's up to the hiring manager to decide where the best fit is. Right. And I don't know if we mentioned it, but you know, we came up with those key accountabilities. That's what we've used to not only do the job description, but the job ad. So we're hoping right. that as people are answering this ad, they are seeing the things that we have highlighted from that job report. And we joke that the job report is our perfect, you know, robot profile. Yeah. And um, there's never perfection in hiring. So uh, I don't think I've ever seen a candidate match exactly every single point on this job profile. So when when Martha's talking about the gap report, we're looking to see, you know, the the main things that we said were important. How do those match up? And if they don't, what are some of the gaps? And this doesn't mean if there are some gaps to not hire this person. This is one piece of the puzzle that goes with interviewing and it goes with their resume. They have to have the hard skills that go with this. But what this allows you to do is that you know right away on day one where this person might struggle. You know, they might want to be um, very resourceful and, and see how quickly they can do something where, we're lo- where the job is looking for someone who is more on the selfless side and they do the task to completion, not to see how fast they can do it. And so that's what we're doing is looking at those jobs and seeing who's going to thrive in this job. Right. That, that right. will help us onboard this candidate. 
and really paying attention to those motivators to Cindy's point that if their the gap report has their top three motivators and they didn't have any of them then the indication there is longer term they're not going to be satisfied with the day-to-day of this job it is too monotonous for them it's too whatever because it just is a is a clear indication that it's not a good job fit from a motivation standpoint. Right. And we haven't talked a lot about the driving forces, but it is your hidden motivators. It's one thing to get disc right. Are you if are you people focused? Are you task focused? But if you're not being intrinsically rewarded by this job, it's just a job. It's not going to be something that you're ever be engaged with. And we will seek out our motivators. And if we can seek them out at work, then those are the people who feel like they've never worked a day in their life because they're doing what they love. So when you see people who see this just as a job, they're disengaged, they check in, they do their work, they check out, but it's not fulfilling, um, then you know you have not matched up your motivators correctly. Right. Right. And you mentioned the job ad, but also... Uh, most clients use this information to really get their job descriptions updated yes. on target so that the next time they have to fill this position, they've got really an accurate reflection of what the job requires. Can't you just download something from the internet with the same job title, Martha? <laughs> Who's done I it? I have before, before all this. <laughs> I think a lot of people do that. And those typically tend to be all encompassing, right? Because they think of everything that can go into this job where we've already narrowed it down to two or three biggies. Right. And so when you do a custom job benchmark, you are doing it for this job, for this department at this company. Right. And you're getting, you're getting someone that's going to hopefully match up, you know, for the best. Right. Now, Martha, there are some goodies in this report too, this job report that we haven't talked about yet. Oh, besides right. just the, you know, the disc style we're looking for, the motivator style, and and there's some other goodies we can add on there like skills or or maybe even um, emotional intelligence. Although we don't usually use that one for hiring. But mm-hmm. what else does this report give us? Well, well, the competencies you were mentioning. So I think that's a, a positive one as well. Um, using a slightly different report, but um, the the other piece of it is at the end of the job report are behavioral interviewing questions. So the, the hiring manager doesn't even have to work hard <laughs> because they're going to be asking the right questions to find out does this person have this level of detail orientation or not. Um, is this person relationship oriented or not based on using those already done for you behavioral interviewing questions? And people love it. They really love that part of it. And if you're not familiar with a behavioral interview question, those are questions. And I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but those are the questions that ask you to tell me about a time when. So instead of looking forward and setting up a fake scenario, they want to know what has happened in the past and how did you deal with that? How did you respond? What was the problem solving method you went through to get to this? How did you react to this setback? 
And not only do the questions that are provided in the report reflect the disc behaviors that we said we wanted, there's a whole section on the driving forces of what we said we wanted. And so you can, now this is not something you would read every question because there are probably a hundred questions based on whatever the topic is that you're looking at. But when you wanna really drill down into that second interview with a candidate or something just doesn't seem to match up quite right, this is a great way to identify that and then go deeper in with them and ask more questions about, about why they chose or, or what motivates them about a certain thing and, and see right. if it jives with them. Right, right, absolutely. And then I'd say probably the last part is of the hiring process and the selection process is the same report, the candidate report can be used for onboarding. Now, right. You already have the, the Bible about this person. You already know um, what this person's going to be like. And, and so I've used this two ways in onboarding, Martha. Sometimes I do a meeting with the candidate or the new hire and her manager and we do a side by side and we see where, who's fast, who's slow, who's this, who's that. So they know on day one, but I've also gone over this with the, um, with the job benchmark itself. You know, here's what we said we were looking for. Here's how you scored and here's where you're a perfect fit. And here's some things that we're gonna ask you to do that you're not gonna love, but we still need you to do them. Right. And, um, and they'll see that they didn't have to be a perfect fit to be hired, but. Yeah but yeah. to watch out for things. Right. Not to lower expectations or anything. No, just to, <laughs> yeah. just to raise expectations. If, right. If we're going to be asking you, even though it's not your superpower, we're going to be asking you to do those. So, but it is powerful to be able to have that interaction, you know, within that candidates um, or the new employees first week that, okay, here's your profile and your strengths and things you're going to have to work at with this job. And here's your boss's profile. You, you two kind of talk amongst yourselves about where you're, you may have conflict and then how are you going to talk through and deal with conflict? So you're building trust very, very quickly, which is part of that whole socialization process you want going on in onboarding. And if this is a, you know, if your company does tend to be a disc shop, then that means that the team is going to have their reports as well. And this would be a great team session too, to introduce right. everybody else on the team to this new candidate. What are their scores? What is her new score? And, and try to see where everybody fits and, and who you're likely to have some conflict with. And it's not who you avoid. It's just, you know, who you might need to approach a different way. Right. So, right. Now, we talked, I think last week, Martha, that we have, we produced a graphic, an info sheet that says one assessment, six ways in the hiring and onboarding process. And so we still have that available to you. If you go to um, diskychicks.com, you can um, either fill out a form and request it and we'll send it to you. Um, we hope to have our link up there if it's not already that you can just click on it and have that form downloaded but there's also a link in the show notes of the disky chicks podcast so if you go to our buzzsprout site and see the podcast from there then you can see the show notes and download it from there but we'll try to have it in lots of different places our facebook page as well right right yeah and this is a great two-pager to give you more information than you probably know about 
the hiring and onboarding process, as well as the benchmarking process. I think that's also a good resource, Martha. If you if someone's trying to bring this into their company and they need a little more information instead of having you know your boss listen to this podcast, which we would love for her to do, uh, but you can use this as um, a value add, like one assessment. You can use it in so many ways, and this is just hiring and onboarding. We didn't even talk about the million other ways you can use it, but this is a good resource for you to to take take with you if you want to bring benchmarking in. So Martha, how how have you seen companies use you for benchmarking? Do they use you every time or do they get it on their own or how does that likely yeah. work? Yeah, well, that my primary user for the benchmarking process is has been predominantly one position that has been officially benchmarked. Um, but, you know, I get... Um, utilization of that uh, probably every week. And what I do just to help with the interpretation of the report is I do a one pager to give them just really a snapshot of the results and where I see them being a very compatible fit for the job, a compatible fit a fair fit or a poor fit, but it's because of the results that are in the report. Um, But that same client, I also do an analysis of other key jobs without the benchmark um, because I've been working with them for quite a long time and know the jobs and know how these candidates are comparing against the requirements of that job. And I do that same one-page analysis once they get their um, disbehaviors and driving forces reports back. So uh, it it can work both ways. It's much better to have the jobs benchmarked for sure. But, you know, if you know your clients and the job well enough and the jobs well enough, then you know, in this case, I'm able to really help them analyze the candidates. You provide a full service for your clients because these reports can be lengthy and some people really don't have time to to do all this. They just want somebody to say yes, no, you know, give me an idea of how they'll fit. But for other clients, we've done one that I mentioned, we did a benchmark for the sales manager and then we benchmarked the growing inside sales team and and the sales manager was trained on how to hire using the benchmark so once we got her set up i could step back and she could run run reports look at them and say put that as part of her hiring process right and then i would say maybe the third type is it usually starts with you know you or maybe one of us coming in there and doing a job benchmark. Right. But some companies want their HR person to be certified in DISC and driving forces. And after maybe the first one or two benchmarks, they can they can be certified and take over all the things that have to do with DISC or motivator. Right. So whether it's for development or hiring or job benchmarking, and we offer certification classes in DISC as well. So um, we can go full service, like Martha said, or self-service, get certified, become the resource for your company. That's typically a pretty cost-effective way right. for a company to do all this in-house if they want to. But if it's onesie twosies, 
sometimes it's easier, easiest just to call one of us in and we'll, you know, we'll help you through it. And but, yeah. Yeah, so it's Excellent. very flexible. Right. Right. I think that gives a pretty good overview of the job benchmarking process. We talked about, you know, who's going to use it, that hiring manager or the HR professional, what jobs are these good for? It, the answer is any job, but I think we found the, the most cost-effective way is when you're hiring a lot of the same type of person, you get that one good benchmark like you have for your client, that, mm -hmm. that manager position. Um, if it's just a difficult position, you can't seem to find the right person and new hires and, and new positions and key hires as right. well. Right. And, you know, we went over the process. You want to recap that? Yeah. And we walked through the benchmarking process in terms of what, what are the steps to do that? And we talked about finding the right people, the subject matter experts who can really give you the down and dirty on what the job actually does and getting all of their great input from them while they're all together in a, really a brainstorming session. Um, then it's our job to organize all that, all those inputs so that everything kind of lines up, if you will. And we're ranking those in importance. And we're also looking at time spent doing those three or four really key, key thing, parts of the job. Um, from that, we create a job report uh, with the involvement of the subject matter experts. And Cindy described two ways to get that done. But the main thing is that we get a job report that fairly and squarely represents the job itself. And then all the, the attributes of the report that are so wonderful, including the behavioral interviewing questions, as well as other aspects that really help capture, whether it's competencies, behaviors, or motivators, so that we help our clients really improve their, what I call, hit rate on some of these key positions. I think what we've learned is that this process is data driven and it's not emotions driven. Right. You get that report, you know, we've all agreed upon, then you get the candidate and it either matches or they don't. And we, we've all fallen in love with candidates and we really are always hoping that they're going to match the benchmark. And when they don't, the first thing you want to try to do is figure out how you can make it fit. But if they're going to be miserable, it's, it's better just to right. cut them loose. You know, don't, don't shoehorn them into a job that they're that they're just not going to like. It's not going to help you and it's not going to help them, even if they were charming and had cute shoes. You know, it's no yeah. reason. <laughs> well, well, the other thing, too, is I've seen situations where the hiring manager has all the data and they really like the candidate that didn't quite fit the benchmark. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's their call. That's what they get paid to do. And I'm always wanting to find out, okay, well, how long did that person stay around? How long did that person stay around? Yeah. But, but it is just part of the process. Um, everybody knows the interview is where you get the most real tangible information when you are trying to select the right person. And the assessment is just another tool to help get it right. And I think that assessment gives you lots of data that you can talk about. Right. 
they, they right. definitely can work together rather than squishy feelings and <laughs> and they have cute shoes yes <laughs> always always my example high eyes can schmooze their way into almost any job because they're charming but that doesn't mean they're going to be successful so. right right all right. Well, Martha, right. that's a great overview of the job benchmarking process. And we'll continue speaking on hiring and maybe we'll get some guests in here who've used the process and they can give their perspective on that as well. That would be fun. Absolutely. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks to all of you continuous learners for listening in with Cindy and me today. We are passionate about the power of the DISC behavior assessment and we love bringing it to you and your clients. We invite you to visit our website at diskychicks.com. There you will find a link to all of our podcasts, and you can listen to previous episodes and subscribe. Also on our website, you can try a DISC assessment for yourself. Just click the link, take the short assessment, and we'll quickly send you the results. Also, check us out as well on Facebook and Instagram. We can't wait to hear from you. See you next week on the Disky Chicks podcast. Thank you for listening to the Disky Chicks podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. To learn more or start a conversation with Cindy and Martha, visit the Disky Chicks podcast Facebook page.